0: fundamentally the atomic unit of an economy is you know being able to do something useful for somebody who's willing to pay for it <laughs> that's right. really what this comes down right. to right uh, and so you know if i if i'm learning about the wide range of things can i be useful and competitive compared to other people who could do a similar useful thing uh, and if the answer is no then you probably really want to rethink your strategy
1: welcome to the lucas Robot show where we uncover purpose. We relentlessly pursue truth and own the future. I'm your host, Lucas Skrobot, and I want to thank you for being with us here on the show today. And today we are joined by Masood Rawahi, who is the founder, mastermind, guru, you name it, of Row Oman. Now, Row Oman is a front and back end software web development company. But here's the thing. They do not just develop websites. They don't just make your branding look cool and make your algorithm on the backside, whatever. I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a software engineer. They don't just do that. What From my conversations with Masood, what I have really come to love, and in some ways, I want to use the word endearment. I'm endeared to him because of his heart and his vision and his passion to develop people. And that really, from my first conversation that I've had with him, that is the main thing that I have heard time and time again, his passion to develop people and develop economies in a nation. It's not just about making it big and having his exit. So, Masood, I am so grateful that you are here with us today. Thank you for being here.
0: It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely. I mean, we've we've tried this before, and uh, the first time we hit some bumps, <laughs> and we've scheduled it, and you were sick, and then I, I was sick yeah. or busy. I forgot what it was. <laughs> I'm so glad that we are here. And I I really wanted to start off kind of on that that point of of how what is your your philosophy like? What is your vision with Fazero Phazro in in Oman in the development of people and the development of the economy there in Oman, like what, like tell me a little bit about what you're doing and your yeah. vision, the foundation, and all of it.
0: Yeah, for sure. So um, actually this kind of goes a little bit, uh, you know, a little, a little few years ago, you know, back in 2015, this kind of all began. So uh, taking you uh, down memory lane for a second, um, we, my partners and I, who also happened to be childhood friends at another firm called Phase Ventures, Which is actually investor in row. and maybe we can unpack that a little bit. Yeah, but back in 2015, um, you know, uh, my partners and I uh, came back from studies abroad from from Canada and UK respectively, and um, we came back with a certain idea of of what would be waiting for us. Um, You know, there was this notion that uh, the hundred dollar barrel would be there forever and Mm. all of the perks that come along with it. And unfortunately, we came back to a crisis. Um, The price had crashed from 100 to about a fifth of that. Um, And there was a lot of negative sentiment in the market and a lot of expectations uh, around, um, you know, job entitlements, for lack of a better expression, uh, were no longer, you know, there. Um, And so, you know, my partners and I, or at that point, they were just my childhood friends, would meet and, you know, uh, we all come from... um, uh, Complementary backgrounds, finance, um, um, tech, and, and engineering, and so we'd sort of geek out and talk about that stuff. But then very quickly, the conversation would tend towards, um, you know, the, the economic challenges, and you know, and how kind of we're not super happy with the situation, and we're seeing right. a lot of friends of ours who are are quite smart and arguably harder working than us, um, really struggling to find work. And it was it was kind of bizarre, you know, how how is this person who's smarter than me works harder than me? Uh, is, is struggling to find work, uh, something is, is is not right here. Um, and so eventually we kind of decided that, you know, kind of, OK, we need to stop complaining because we're kind of getting the t- tired of hearing ourselves complaining. Right. Uh, right. Um, and so like, look, either you can do something about it or, or just kind of put up. <laughs> um, and we decided, you know, we'd say we're going to do something about this. Um, and so, with that, you know, without any sort of preconceived notions, we we spoke to anybody that would speak to us. Uh, we talked to uh, industry players, talked to people from ministries, we talked to private sector uh, individuals, entrepreneurs to try to understand what's fundamentally the issue here. We see that there are lots of smart people and there's lots of jobs to be done, but there's this like weird friction in between. Um, now, when you were asking later, these, when you were we, asking
1: questions to these business owners, whether it's in the private sector or talking to people in in different ministries across Muscat, what was some of their their sentiment towards your question? Like, did they have really clear answers to it, or they're like, "No, this doesn't exist"? What was kind of like the sediment in general that you were getting?
0: Uh, yeah. Um I think generally speaking, uh, I I was surprised that they would talk to us. Honestly, I would have to say that that a lot of people uh, who are quite high ranking actually entertained us, which uh, I was pleasantly surprised with. So amazing. Um, And it was very much kind of just an informational interview. So there was, it was almost like a round table format, you know, no right, no wrong answer. It was very um, uh, peer to peer. So it wasn't like they were talking down to us and they were just explaining from their point of view, what, what they were seeing It was kind of. It was really, really interesting. It was almost like an ethnographic exercise. Can you give us a breakdown,
1: um, like you know, of what that was at the time? What year is this again? Two thousand
0: fifteen. So you're talking about 2015, 2016.
1: So and you know, you, what's you would the talk unemployment? To, instance, what's the unemployment rate at that point?
0: Uh, can't quote me on that, but certainly uh, much lower than it is now. Um, I would say. I'll get back to you on that point. <laughs> I'll get back to you. I'm not 100% on right now. No problem. No problem. <laughs> um but it, it was not um let's say uh you know alarming at all. It was not it was not significant at all. I could say that much. It was just it was visceral though. It was visible for the first time at least in my recent memory that it it was a thing. Like so it was maybe just a few percentage points but in high enough that it was becoming kind of part of the kind of the part of the the um common discussions. So so I you know I I can't really put a number on it just now, but um high enough that that it was noticeable by the average person.
1: But I feel like back even in twenty fifteen, there was conversations of Omanization. And and for those who are listening that don't know, because of because of the, the large number of expat workers that come in and take jobs, um they're a lot of Omanis and, and local, whether it's Omaniization, uh, Emiratiization, um, or Saudi as well, they they are they are trying to not forcibly just you know kick out expats and put people in, but develop programs so that locals have access to jobs, so that they can build up their own economy and not be reliant on expats always coming in, but they can actually begin to build up experts within their own local population. So that's what we're talking about. And so at this point, Omanization is is already kicking off. So there has to be some sort of, you know, unemployment need, especially as oil starts to falter and government jobs, I'm guessing, are starting to dry up.
0: Yeah, to, to, to a certain degree. I think there, there is certainly for a very long time have been a recognition that, um, you know, uh, the blessings that we received from, you know, the, the extractive industries oil and gas namely are, are not going to last forever so they right. you know they introduced you know localization or ominization specifically here um and so and they were to varying degrees they have been successful but i think with the supply shock or you know that we saw with you know basically you know um significant amount of uh, oil being produced particularly then you know we were seeing the impacts of uh, the shale revolution um, you know, where the unit technical cost of shale was going down so low that they could just kind of flood the market, basically. Um, and and I think that kind of sent reverberations in the market, like, we need to really accelerate these activities. Because mm-hmm. uh, if we don't, basically, you know, we're going to have some significant challenges where we need expertise, we need strong experts in a very challenging macroeconomic environment, um, but we don't have them locally. And we can't afford them uh to to basically have foreign talent and you get stuck in this like strategic you know rock in a hard place right and so that there was that kind of recognition that was slowly coming to the fore uh at that time um and what was interesting i think more specifically was like the type of discussions we were having was there was a clear recognition that something needed to change uh but no specific very like practical steps that that I could discern. So what was really interesting was, for instance, we would talk to some large investment funds. Um, and their response generally, I mean, I'm oversimplifying, was okay, yes, we have a bunch of capital allocated for developing young Armani enterprises, but we can't find anything that's actually investable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then and then you would talk on the other end of the spectrum with sort of like the entrepreneurs or or recent grads who were willing to buck the trend and not take on a a, a stable job and, and go the entrepreneurial route and they're like we can't grow our businesses because we can't find early stage capital right uh, and this was like a really strange mismatch is like um the last meeting actually <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> was kindly you know it's kind of strange here um and so we kind of dug a bit more and and kind of what we realized was that you know what we need really is is um an innovation ecosystem right that's that's what you find in you know the likes of Silicon Valley and, and London and Tokyo, uh, or a startup ecosystem, where there's a clear steps, there's a clear journey between having a great idea, getting it funded, growing it, and then getting that that exit right, and there're clear enablers at each step. And we were fortunate enough to be enlightened by a wonderful man named Cameron Elahian. If you're listening, Cameron, <laughs> hello. Um, <laughs> he's uh, he's a, a three-time you know um, unicorn founder. Uh, he knows a thing or two about growing companies from scratch. And uh, in his, um, let's say his golden years, uh, you would not like that. He's, he's forever young. Uh, <laughs> he kind of, uh, <laughs> he goes around and he actually consults a lot of governments um, um, that have certain criteria. And he looks for governments that have, um a high uh Muslim majority looks for governments that are highly dependent on extractive industries. Uh and he looks for a government uh, and he looks for uh, for um uh countries that have uh high youth unemployment. Uh and and, and you know, Oman takes kind of all three boxes there. Right, um, right. I think I might. And um and so as luck would have it, you know, we were connected with him and you know, he kind of showed us the way and he's like, you know, actually what you need is an, an innovation ecosystem, and if you can break it down to four tranches. And you kind of have like idea formation and there are a series of enablers to go with that. And then you have sort of, uh, you know, business formation and there's key enablers there. And then you have growth, key enablers there. And then finally you have your harvest, which is kind of like your exit, your, your M&A, your, your IPO uh, uh, of sorts. Um, and what you need to look at is take a look at a, like a really uh, robust ecosystem. Let's say maybe Silicon Valley is a portion child of that and try to understand what they have and then take that template and overlay it over your ecosystem and take a look at where the key areas are missing and what you can bring to bear to those. And that's what you need to be focusing on. Um, and we were completely sold. The more we looked into it, the more it made sense. And out of that, you know, Phase Ventures the the uh, was born, uh, which is the first uh, private venture capital firm in Oman. Um, and so, you see, we, we didn't create this a VC firm just for the sake of VC. It was... Out of trying to solve this key problem, how do we unlock the untapped potential of our youth? Um, right, and we found that right. that is probably the best way that we can allocate our you know little, relatively small amount of time and resources uh, uh, and, and gray matter between our ears. Um, and so with that, you know, we we started investing, and, and we had a, a, a investment in Akid, which is kind of an on-demand food delivery app that that. Um, that is number two in the country currently. So very, very proud over a very short period of time. You know, they've created about 30 uh odd um employment opportunities for young Armanis. And these are what uh, would be classified as skilled and, and highly skilled opportunities. Uh we did the same thing. We invested in a company called uh, e as well. Uh we led their their million dollar round last year, and they've again off the back of that, and and obviously prior uh work that's done, we did we didn't invest them from the beginning, but we definitely helped enable. Um, the ability for them to hire thirty to forty young Armenians in the tech sector, and these are, you know, again, skilled and highly skilled jobs. These are you're talking about uh, lead, you know, software engineers. You're talking about lead, you know, embedded systems engineers. Uh, you know, head of sales, uh, kind of positions. The COO, CEO, and um, CTO are all young Armenians uh, that have grown their business. It's yeah, it's wonderful. And uh, you know, the, the problems they're solving real problems in Armen. Uh, you know, in, in their case, they're solving. Um, you know, uh, I, I don't know if this is common elsewhere, but here, at one point, there was quite a, a number of incidents where children were being forgotten on school buses. Um, and, Crazy. Um, how does that happen? It was. Yeah, I was. I I have no idea, like how you know what are the steps for this to happen, but <laughs> it, it was happening, uh, and they were being forgotten. You know, particularly in the sweltering summer day that can cause fatigue. Yeah, the heat, It's and, so dangerous extremely dangerous. Uh, So they built a, you know, they built a solution that's a a combination of hardware and software that allows uh, basically uh, parents to track whether or not their children are on the bus. It forces certain security measures uh, to ensure that the bus driver essentially cannot uh, lock the doors of the bus unless he does a manual sweep to the back of the bus and the engine will remain running until he does so or she does so. Um, so uh, they've done about a million passenger trips. It's amazing, and they have grown out of Oman into Kuwait now. Wow. So we're seeing our little startups wow. uh, branch out. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's 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 really exciting over a very short period of time. Um, and I, I won't go through our whole portfolio. We have uh, four local uh, companies and and three international. Now, um, one of the things that we realized relatively early on here is that there's a bottleneck in our little grand plan here, (laughs) Um, you know, uh, one of the key bottlenecks we realize is not necessarily capital. Uh, It's actually high-performing tech talent. Um, So as, as, you know, uh, we went operational from 2018, um, and we were, uh, I believe we still are potentially the first, the only private venture capital firm um, when we opened our doors, uh, you know, we kind of initially heard crickets <laughs> and we realized very quickly why <laughs> there wasn't another private VC firm because there wasn't really much deal flow. Right. Uh, fortunately, uh, a lot of players in the ecosystem, including government players, uh, you know, they have the national incubation centers and, uh, they allocated funds and certain, uh, you know, uh, debt instruments were put into place with really low, uh, interest rates. And, um, there's a lot of, um, uh advertisement and, and education around uh entrepreneurship and it started to become acceptable in, in and in a little bit more acceptable as a career path and so over time all those collective efforts resulted in a higher um let's say quality of startups that we were seeing and velocity of the startups that we were seeing um, but the problem remained there was a very consistent problem we noticed when we went, uh, uh you know question let's say uh the startup stuff they pitched and and that is around their their tech teams. Uh, so I, I would always ask, uh, you know, I'd like to meet your tech team, and the answer would invariably be, oh, they're in they're in somewhere, in, you know, in Bangalore, or they're in Ukraine, or in right, it's all in, outsourced, in it's and, all being outsourced, and, and, exactly, it's completely outsourced and offshore. And uh, in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, that's actually a smart way to do it. Uh, it, it it's less ex- you know less expensive, and uh, you get the job done. But it starts to fall flat in its face very quickly, particularly when you're looking at it from an investment perspective. Uh, because if your core business is technology, you can't outsource your core business. Right. Then effectively, you're a marketing company, right? And there, the technology right. you're company, is sitting elsewhere, and it's totally not defensible, right? Because then you know anybody with more money than you can literally call the same dev shop that you're working with, and you know deprioritize your job, and now you're out of business. Absolutely. It's not defensible at all. <laughs> Absolutely. And so, um, and so this this theme just kept emerging, um, and it was getting a little bit concerning to me. And, and and so when I would ask, you know, why why are you doing it this way? It's a bit harder to build your tech team up front, but surely it's not that hard. And the rewards uh, are 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 paid like you know exponentially. And the response uh, was, you know, well we can't find. It. You know, we can't find this like high-performing tech talent that can you know, do what we need them to do. Um, and you know, I couldn't argue with that.
1: <laughs> so, what did you do? So, so it was it at this find. point <laughs> was at this point that you realized that you're not just trying to build a, a company that you know gets VC funding and can have a great exit and hoo hoo made an ecosystem. Was mm-hmm. it at this point that you realized mm-hmm. that the people around me, my 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 peer groups they they either one don't have the talent or they don't know how to properly fit their talent into something that a vc startup company might need
0: exactly you know i, I was looking at it from a uh more the latter like okay, i'm not i'm not trying to just trying to make a ton of money here i'm trying to create a lot of value here right uh both like obviously for ourselves but more importantly um to make, to make the initial vision work <laughs> of, of sort of tipping the needle away from oil and gas, um, we, we need to have, going back to the initial plan, which is to have a burgeoning innovation ecosystem. And without the high potential tech talent, that initial seedling of an idea of unlocking the you know, untapped potential of our youth will, will just become a pipe dream again. Um, and so that so that was kind of the driving force. it's like how do I or how do we as a team create a commercial entity that can solve this problem at scale that that's really how we were looking at it and and you know over about a year of talking to people again and trying to assess the situation and looking at the numbers, uh, we came up with with phase role. So it was kind of born out of, out of that uh, you know, it was born. It was born to solve that particular problem, um, and uh, and yeah, and so you know, uh, we've been at this for operationally about nine months, and it's been a while. Uh, ride. Only nine <laughs> months, and how many
1: how many employees do you guys have underneath you now? Currently, we have uh, twenty four. It's amazing 24 um, twenty four employees in nine young. months. Now, now Marsud. So before we we in our previous conversation, you were talking about you know you're telling these amazing stories about. You know, because I think there's a, a, a misconception that, oh, well, you know, there's just no talent out there. Like you said, there's no talent to be found. Mm. You know, the, the people, they just, they aren't, you know, educated well enough or they don't have the skill set. They don't have the chops or they don't want to work. But what you're saying is that that's not true. And you told me the story yeah. of a young lady. I think she was even, was she in Nizwa or the interior somewhere, and in,
0: Yeah, 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 in, in Rostock. She was in Rastak. Rastak. Yeah. And
1: and tell yeah. me, tell me this story because that this is a fascinating story. And yeah. it goes back to your point of solving problems. And you started off by finding a problem and then working to solve it. And then you found another problem and working to solve it. And so many people out there, they they don't have a real grid of how to take their skill set and pair it right and kind of put the right bolt ons and shape it right so that it fits in. With solving someone's problem, and and I think in this story, I'd love for you to retell it. It really pictures that, and even how you helped her figure that out, and how you mentored her into that position.
0: Yeah, and so like, yeah, just just before I sort of kick that off, um, you're absolutely right. Honestly, it's it's a myth that we don't have talent. Honestly, in my opinion, I don't know, maybe it's the hippie part of me that's coming out here, but I really do believe that you know. Talent is evenly distributed. It's opportunity that isn't. That's that's really what the issue is here. Um, I think pretty much anywhere you go, there's talent. You just need to have the right op- opportunity platform to unlock it. That that's really what it comes down to. Um, and and I think Halima's story kind of is is a very uh, kind of visceral uh, example of that. Um, yeah. So Halima is a, a very interesting uh, character. She. Uh, Found her way onto my um, interview roster, particularly when we were at the height of our ramp up, um, and uh, typically she wouldn't actually be on there because she actually has a networking background, and we were only hiring people with soft eng or compsci, or even computer engineering, but not networking. Um, that said, she was there, and uh, I didn't really have much time to <laughs> change my schedule around, and I said, you know what, I'm going to honor it, um, and so. You know, Good and she man. came and, and we had a a <laughs> Good man for an interesting, uh, Yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh we we you know, she sat in the in the room and, and we began the discussion and she kind of she was very well prepared. I'll give her that and she had all of her documents and the first thing she said to me is as well you know, I studied networking and I graduated, I think it was twenty fifteen. Um and from networking, I was kind of the top of my class and these are some of the courses I took and some of the programs that I've done and Pretty well done, I have to say. Um, So then I asked her, okay, so it's in 2015 till date, kind of like, what have you been up to? And she said, well, I mean, I've been unemployed. Really? Uh, And she said, yeah, well, you know, I've taken up a lot of these different courses that were available, uh, you know, sponsored by uh, public sector, some of it by the private sector. And she would rattle off all of these different courses that she took. She took a course in, uh, you know, uh, data center architecture. And she would talk to me about how, You know, you need to, I don't know, um, you need to think about energy. uh, You need to think about, uh, you know, is is it a tier one, tier two or tier three system and what the implications of that are. So she was clearly paying attention and she had certificates for completing all of these uh, courses. Um, And then she talked to me about, you know, SharePoint and enterprise content management systems and taxonomies. And it was just all of these like courses that she was, she knew what's up. Uh, But they were clearly clearly totally unrelated. It looked like she was just grabbing whatever she could get. And so after she rattled off like five or six of these courses, I asked her, I said, "Okay, so off the back of all of these courses, you know, surely you would have gotten employment. What happened? She said, well, no, I went to interview and I, I couldn't get employment. And in the back of my mind, I was just thinking, well, yeah, you're not really employable with all of those incongruent skills, right? You know, I would like how. What I do is somebody who knows a little bit about a lot of things. Do you feel like that's?
1: Do you feel like that's a typical thing that when people are feeling, especially young people with access to the internet, they're unemployed. They went to college. Their degree's not getting them anywhere. They're in a place where they can't find employment for whatever reason. That they just continue to gather more information and more, more knowledge about a, a wide variety of subjects, thinking that mm-hmm. the miscellaneous box will open a door rather than going deep into one subject or one area of expertise and coming out with a real working portfolio?
0: Yeah, I I noticed that. I feel like they're kind of just playing the law of averages. A lot of people do that. In fact, I think I was probably, you know, misguided. I I probably did that at some point. But then at one point, it kind of clicked to me. It's like, look, fundamentally, the atomic unit of an economy is, you know, being able to do something useful, for somebody who's willing to pay for it. <laughs> that's right. really what this comes down right. to. Right, uh, And so, you know, if, I, if I'm i learning about the wide range of things, can I be useful and competitive compared to other people who could do a similar useful thing? Uh, and if the answer is no, then you probably really want to rethink your strategy. Um, and so I, I think I do believe that, you know, having a broad knowledge is nothing wrong with, I think it's an asset actually to have kind of general knowledge that's relatively broad, but, you do need to like specialize in a certain area, I think, um, because otherwise it just becomes really hard to employ you. You know, if I'm, for instance, an employer and I'm looking to hire a front-end software engineer, I'm going to take the person who knows HTML very well, CSS three, right. and JavaScript, and maybe Angular and React, that's our stack, for instance. You need to figure uh, out what, over the what are the
1: people. What are people going to hire you out for? You know, just like this pen. You know, people buy, like, I bought this pen for a specific utility, a specific job, and it does its function well. The other one I have is a piece of junk. It doesn't work. But <laughs> but the same with people, right? It's what 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 am I going to be able to be hired out for? So for this young lady, when she comes in, you look at her, you're like, you are unhirable. You've been, as you told the story before, you know, you've been doing random stuff on Upwork and doing random projects there and, and making kumars and you know just the the gamut how obviously if you're telling this story you hired her how did you like (laughs) what what was some of that decision process to say you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna eat some cash on the front end for for a payoff on the back end and how did you go through the process of actually developing her and and then off that i'd love for you to share more of how can can employers people who who are like you who want to see it their their country, their society, their nation, their city grow. They want to see, you know, college grads come out and actually become a, a useful part of society and actually yeah. build the country from the ground up. How can they, what, what sort of things can they do to take someone who is in some ways unemployable but has a lot of potential, right? Potential is like the worst. They have a lot of potential. How, yeah. What were some of the things <laughs> that you did to convert that static potential into kinetic energy?
0: Yeah, I, I think honestly, I did very little, first of all. I just put it out there. You know, uh, the, the the thing that caught my eye through conversations with her, uh, there was a steady theme that she was just a hustler. Like, you know, she chewed through, yes, she was a bit misdirected and misguided a little bit in terms of the sort of where she would direct her energy and her efforts. But every time a task was put in front of her, she would crush it. Uh, I saw that, you know, as uh, is, is you, is you rightly said, you know, after that, I asked her what she did and I was trying to understand what she did to sustain herself because I study a lot of the statistics, but it's very interesting to see the people behind the statistics. And so one of the things I had asked her early on was, um, if you don't mind, that's this personal question, right. like, how are you sustaining yourself over right. the last five years? You know, and she's like, you know, I, I learned to... A little bit of uh, you know front end languages here and there, and you know I'd, I'd make these little websites here and there on Upwork and get fifty bucks here, hundred bucks there. Um, and then you know, and then she'd like change and said, "But I don't do that anymore." And I said, "Well, why is that?" I thought that was a good you know way forward. I said, "Well, you know my internet is not stable." I said, "Okay, so so now what do you do?" And she said, "You know, well I learned to stitch kumas. Uh, and, and that's like <laughs> it's it's it shows determination." Uh, and, and particularly Kumbens, which is very intricate uh, <laughs> design. Um, and so what I could see from her is that there's a lot of tenacity. All it needed to do was just guide it in a way that whatever she was learning was cumulative and not... So it's summative, right? Because if you look at kind of what she's done, it's a lot of stuff, but if you add it up, it adds to almost zero mm. from an employer's perspective. And so all I had to do was like figure out, first of all, where her passions lie. So I gave her some structure around course fundamentals that she needed to understand and gave her a taste of various elements within software engineering, both front end, a little bit of back end, uh, a few different languages. And so she could know enough to know what she likes. And then she figured out, okay, you know, I'm a back end person. (laughs) And then from there, you know, we had a very structured program with basically the fundamentals that you have to learn, the core areas, that you need to learn and then and then after that really the idea is just jump on a project just get work on a real life project with a real life team with a real life project manager with a real life customer and you're going to go through trial by fire here <laughs> um and honestly that's my belief my belief is 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 you just need some guidance on the core skill sets and those core skill sets by the way are not necessarily like learning syntax they're learning algorithmic thinking skills, learning critical thinking skills, or learning problems uh, solving skills, right? Because it's an ocean. You can't know everything. right? And really what we're training them to do is to build that resilience, build those core competencies so that whenever they are faced with a novel problem, invariably they will be, that they have a strong foundation to, to confidently say, I have no idea how to solve this right now, but I know enough to know that give me like you know 48 hours, I'll read the docs. I can come up with a reasonable solution for you, and so that's, it, that's what we're training it, them to do.
1: It sounds like even her her coming in, you saw her hunger to learn. You saw her her grit, her her self starterness. Right, she's self starting. She's yes. by herself. She's learning. She's figuring out these things by herself. And I think that is one thing that the education system really needs to continue to instill, and in something that if if you're a frequent listen, listener of this show. I talk about all the time, what's the purpose of education? What's the purpose of learning? Well, it's to teach us how to continue to learn, how to have frameworks yes. of knowledge so that by that by which we have this way of thinking that we can analyze and problem solve, not to memorize a bunch of facts, not to memorize a bunch of information, but how can we intake an enormous amount of literature and information and worldviews so that we have structures by which we can view the world. And then once we are introduced with a novel problem, we can then figure out how to solve that novel problem. Because it's, it's because of people like you, Marsoud, that, um, you know, so millions and millions of people are going to be unemployed within the next 20, 30 years because of automation and everything oh. that you're doing with mm-hmm. front and back-end development. And, and yeah. I'm grateful that yeah. you're doing it. It's kind of tongue-in-cheek <laughs> that I'm saying it, but it's coming no matter what. And so with mm. our kids, with even with ourselves, no matter where you are in life, I think we have to start asking ourselves hard questions of saying, how am I developing those frameworks, those structures by which to view yeah. the world? How am I becoming a hungry learner? And you made a really great point with, with her. It wasn't just like, here learn this and you'll be great it was try a lot of things figure out what you gravitate towards what you enjoy most and then once you figure that out let's go deep into that vertical and it's great that you know how that back end needs to interact with yeah. the front end yes. right and yes. and for those of you who aren't coding this still like who aren't in tech this still applies it's it's still good to know how these things interact how our areas of expertise interact with the rest of the world right um. So then, you brought her deep into that, so that she could actually add value to your company and then to essentially your clients. Um. So yeah. From there, what I'm I'm curious of. We have a couple more minutes before we have to end this first hour, but I w- I wanted to ask you. You know, you have this vision of of building a, a company of, of building not only a company but individuals with, within your company a company. And then having that really impact macro or micro and macro economics. Why don't you, you know, create a, a construction company that is paving roads or digging dishes, or, you know, maybe uh, you know, a Kuma company where you we're teaching ladies how to to sew these hats. Like why why are you going tech instead of going, you know, micro micro business?
0: Hmm. I think um one, so first of all, you know, just to make it clear, you know, those are all noble pursuits. And I hope somebody does them because I, you know, As- I personally need to come Absolutely out, And I also personally, you know, and we all need <laughs> roads to drive on. But that's not my area of expertise nor my interest. Uh, that's one. And two, you know, I, I kind of set off with an impact driven mission. Uh, and so with that, kind of I was looking for how do I maximize the impact per dollar spent and i i love tech for that because i mean maybe there's other ways of doing it i don't know them but with tech you know um it, it it's it's a very little relatively a little capex spend uh for the potentially huge return on 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 impact and and consequently on on, on value created so that's mm-hmm. that's kind of the why i decided to go down this route um I mean, you know, you look at uh, the top seven companies.
1: Wouldn't you say that, I mean, how is employing 40 people or 50 people or even if you grow to 400, that's that's not helping the, you know, the average blue worker collar, blue collar worker, Omani, who who didn't go to college, who doesn't have that experience in Mm -hmm. in development. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's two things there. I mean, one, you know, some of the best developers I know just don't even have degrees, like very senior developers I know at Google, for instance, don't even have degrees. So that that's, you know, it's it it's becoming more accessible. That's one. And two, I would say that, you know, these are very high value jobs. When I say high value. I just mean, economically speaking, uh, from a productivity standpoint, they can justify high wages uh, because of the high economic output. Mm-hmm. Uh, and therefore, you know, and therefore... Um, they have this sort of um, ripple effect in the economy, right? So there's, there's a stats I saw uh, talking about, you know, the, the one, you know, employee, one person hired, let's say, in the tech sector can very directly, uh, you know, create employment uh, with at least four to five other people around them. Because, uh, you know, the people that are in the sector who are getting high disposable incomes are obviously going to have a greater consumption, you know, have the income effect, Um you know, they're going to want to have more shawarmas maybe uh, twice <laughs> or three times a week, not once. Uh, you know, uh, they'll be willing to buy gifts for friends. Uh, you know, you know, so the consumption uh, would go up um, and that would support, um, you know, other uh, little SMEs, for example, the Kuma shop or, or the other services um, around uh, the economy that are that are not directly involved in tech
1: that that makes so what you're talking about is leverage you're saying that for every one employee yeah. you know you know this mohammed or fatma who's now working for your company they are now going to hire an extra housemaid an extra driver an extra nanny because they're no longer able to you know pick up little um, amira from from school or or what yeah. have you they're they're, they're hiring yeah. other people and they're spending more of their their economic gain which is going to stimulate the economy
0: yeah so you know there's an indirect indirect so the, like the indirect is sort of like you, you highlighted there is kind of like the uh the um or sorry the direct is kind of like the income effect you know the more money you make the more you spend as a percentage not even in absolute terms which is pretty interesting right interesting. all of a sudden you know you all have have a need to have that extra show armor right uh which is great from from an economic standpoint uh but indirectly as well, you know, what I'm trying to do here as well is to create the next generation of software engineers, right? I'm not just creating an opportunity for an I'm I'm I want these people to become entrepreneurs unto themselves. I want them to be plucked out uh by force of <laughs> phase three to four years from now and mm. become the CTO of the next big startup. Some of them have like crazy uh ideas for ventures. And instead of me saying no, 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 how do I like structure my contract to lock them in? I'm like, no, here's 10% extra time. You go work on that thing. Guess what? I'm a VC. I'm going to give you real, real life uh, feedback as you develop this thing. And if it has legs, guess what? I'll even fund you. It. You go leave and grow a company that's even bigger than row. right? So that's sort of the indirect, uh, uh, you know, concept of leverage that you highlighted.
1: Well, that's that's all we have time for this this top of the hour. We're going to continue our conversation right over in, in the next hour of of the segment with Masoud, where I'm going to ask him what he thinks about billionaires and trillionaires. We're going to talk about mentors and checking your ego at the door. So don't go away. Be sure to roll over to the next episode of the podcast where we continue this conversation with Masoud. If you have not yet gone and checked out my book, "Anchored: the Discipline to Stop Drifting, now is the perfect time. I wrote this book in a season of my life where I felt like all my metrics, all my ways of viewing the world were broken. They worked for a season and then they were broken. I was on the treadmill, busy work, just checklist after checklist, but it was never, it wasn't reaching my goals. And I was afraid to let them go to let my busy quote-unquote productivity go, to grab hold of real fruitfulness and real success. And so it was from this season that I began to write this book. as a short, 100-page, easy-to-read, actionable book. And as I let that go, I grabbed onto not what does it mean to be busy and to feel like I'm moving in a direction of success, but actually become fruitful so that I can reach my dreams and my goals. So I highly recommend the book. The link is in the show notes. Finally, this show would not be made possible except for people like you, listeners like you, listening to the show. So if you have any questions about this episode or any of the previous episodes, I would love to hear from you and answer them right here on the show please send me a text on whatsapp or a voicemail on whatsapp plus +12029220220 that's 12029220220 and ask me a question about this episode or any of the other episodes up to this point i would love to actually answer them right here on the show and please tell your friends they will thank you they will thank you for sharing this show with them. I always love when someone t- sends me an episode and says, hey, Lucas, you gotta listen to this. This is great. I always go and I listen to it. And I'm like, wow, that was great. Thank you for sharing that. So please share this with a friend.
0: Thank you for listening to the Lucas Robot Show. Now go out and own your future.